Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. And now, introducing tonight's main attraction. It's the Never Bins Podcast. We never had to um, film ourselves, but I definitely heard that there were there were guys that were putting the cameras like on the side of a hill and catching yourself running. That was, was that was Blanche. Yeah, no, it no. I had to, I had to have Kylie film me doing like jump rope every day for my quarterback workout, and then I would have to like. <laughs> The weightlifting was ridiculous. You had to film your last set of one exercise. So what was like dumbbell squat or dumbbell bench, you had to film yourself doing the last set of it. So I would like, you know, some days I'm like, I don't really feel like working out today. So I'll just do one set and film it. And then that was my workout. How would they One know? set of max weight? Yeah, they had no clue. I'm sure, I'm sure nobody got hurt in the whole league doing that. Yeah, it was so dumb. And I, I, did you, do you remember, did you get like, remember we got like a stipend to like spend on exercise equipment? I bought, I bought a lot of kettlebells and I bought a, like a nine hole pitch, like for baseball, but I used it for long snapping that I could snap into in my backyard, but I, we a hundred percent use it for baseball all the time. And I very rarely snap. My strength coach in Cleveland, shout out Dale Jones, uh, by the way, welcome everyone. Got uh, a special guest and friend, <laughs> JJ Jansen on this week. Um, but uh, my my uh, my my strength coach in Cleveland convinced me to get all these dumbbells, and then come to find out later, a bunch of guys bought a Peloton with it. I'm like, well, I would have liked to have done that. I wish you had, you know, convinced me to buy a Peloton instead of dumbbells that I will never use. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know that that was an option. Yeah. My wife would have loved it. We ended up just buying a Peloton anyway. She's at like 120 consecutive weeks. That's impressive. I'm at zero. I've, I have days. shoes. I've done zero Peloton workouts, but I have the shoes. I used to do the, I didn't have a Peloton, but I would download the app and I would stream because we didn't have a Peloton at this apartment we lived at. So I would yeah. stream Peloton classes on like a stationary bike. Alex, Alex Toussaint. Oh, Alex Toussaint. Club bangers. He's the goat. I didn't realize um, Peloton people became influencers. My kids were watching Is It Cake on Netflix. And one of the celebrity hosts or like judges was known as actor, influencer, Peloton host. I didn't know that that was like a job title, but apparently it is. And very Do you, you know which one it was? Please tell me Alex Toussaint. It was a girl. Oh. Well, one of the, so. there's two. One girl is on College Game Day now, and the other one, and there's another one that's on Good Morning America, I think. Real. So this is definitely like a way oh, yeah, to like, like move up in the world. They're celebrities. I guess they are actors and actresses. I mean, yeah. Alex Toussaint works out for twenty percent of it. The rest of it, he's just 
screaming at you through the through the video. Yeah, they're a motivator. Yeah, you need exactly. you need more motivation. That's why you're not going fast enough on the bike. Precisely. Right. Never works. Uh, yeah. Well, for the listeners, we're doing this a little differently this week. We got JJ Jansen, long snapper, Carolina Panthers, and he's going to join us for more than just the interview segment. He's kind of going to join us for the whole episode. So, JJ, you're going to be included in the insight. We can argue with him about analytics and. Yes. I can't wait to ask you about some scenarios to do with us. Some coaching decisions and situations. Absolutely. This is a good week. Every week in the NFL, we got a lot of stuff. Namely, what the analytics says about the uh, Fighting Irish playing the last two plays of the game with less than 11 players. It, All right. It, it, it's that. not favorable for the Irish. All right. So the coach, he said he didn't want to risk the penalty. When did he find out that they only had 10? Was it on the second down or was it after that leading up to the third down, the touchdown? Do you I, know? I, I, I heard, the, I heard the quote. I didn't see the interview. I don't even know what penalty he's talking about. Yeah, well, um, you've just been off sides, right? And you move forward two inches. Oh, jumping off sides? No, I think they, he was worried if he ran a guy on the field that they would maybe get a free play or something. So, I, oh. yeah, I mean, that's I, – I, Like they would snap it quick if they saw the guy. Because it was – I'm not I guess, sure. The angle of the guy running on would be in their backfield. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay, that makes a small bit of sense. I, but again, that's that was two plays in a row, and typically most coaches. Now I know this is chaos, but most coaching staffs have somebody on the staff whose game day responsibility is making sure you're at, you're at eleven guys. Usually, you're worried about twelve. Yeah. Um, but I mean, as simple as it sounds, like you literally have somebody whose job is it to literally count the players and make sure you have eleven people on the field. It's a bad, it's a bad deal to have ten back-to-back plays. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I obviously easy to sit here and second guess, but it's like, and then and he did. He said on Monday or Sunday or whatever it was that they now have a, a signal for you know like a defensive lineman to just reach out and touch one of the offensive linemen, just go encroachment so that you know. But. I, well, I don't know. I mean, you try and prepare for all these situations. I don't necessarily know that that's one I've ever gone through to even, I mean, I'm not, not being on the defensive side of the ball, but I don't know that that's one that I've ever gone through where it's like, you don't have enough guys and you got to figure out a way to, without a timeout, you got to figure out a way to. Well, what's, what's tricky is too, like situational football is interesting in the sense that we were talking about analytics most of the data would suggest that for 58 minutes in the game, a defense is better off playing with 10 than even burning a timeout. Like it's not worth it because those timeouts are so valuable. But all of a sudden to you guys' point in the last two minutes of the game, it's a totally different situation. And so the rules that you might've played with for the rest of the game no longer apply. And we understand that as like, okay, this is a two minute drill out-of-bounds rules, first-down rules, all that stuff changes. But even just the rules by which someone would situationally operate, it changes dramatically. And it was it was interesting because with about 30 seconds left, I think it might have been a fourth down, the, uh, the Irish took like what we used to call like a Kodak timeout. I think that was the name of it in New England too. And they just wanted to see what the offense was going to line up in. And I remember thinking like, 
I don't know that I'd want to have burned that timeout. If they score, you're going to want that timeout to go kick a field goal. What it turned out, that would have been a useful timeout on defense to have at the goal line. Hey, we got 10. Let's burn a timeout. They're out of timeouts. Yeah. Um, I, I agree. I, I don't know that I thought of that. That's a good point. Like, I, I never I, I never understood that either. Like, taking a – like, you know, you see what the offense is in and maybe you make a different call and, and maybe they make a different call. It's like – it's just the same as basketball at the end to me. It's like, I, what you know, what are you actually trying to – what are you actually gaining out of that? It's like a big what-if scenario. What if they run a different play? What if they run the same play? You're not really getting anything because once the defense takes that timeout, if I'm the offensive coordinator, I'm not lining up in that same formation, right? Or maybe you are. And then they think reverse, reverse psychology. So it's like I think I think the defense is saying if they switch plays, they're going to their second best play for the situation, and that's a benefit. I and I appreciate those sorts of timeouts, but I think with 30 or 45 seconds left, I think it's too early. Like yeah. seven seconds in the game, hey, this might be the last play. Timeouts are worthless once the game's over. I'm with that. But let's say on that fourth down, they threw and scored a touchdown. And now it's 27 seconds and you burned your final timeout. To your point, guys, like what what benefit? They're probably switching plays. So you're not going to get necessarily a pre-snap advantage. Yeah. Um, I Sometimes those timeouts show up when it's a, hey, we're – they came out in a look, maybe it's an unscouted look, and we want to talk about it. I'm fine with that. But that one, the one the one that Notre Dame used, it felt like let's let them get really close to snapping the ball, burn a timeout, and just to see what they're in. Not necessarily we're in a bad spot here. That's what it seemed like. Yeah. I mean, the whole end of that game is wild. It's it's you know, it's like and 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 you know, it's potentially uh potentially, you know, one that will cost, you know, Notre Dame a shot at the playoff. You know, it's like, and they should have won. They really should have won that game. Yeah. Another Unfortunately, that- I've seen too many bad things happen on that field. Um, my first start in the NFL was the Bush push game, and it was the same ending in that same end zone on, on basically an identical run. There just was nobody pushing anybody in the end zone. But it was literally just sort of like a do – it ended up being a QB sneak, but just sort of like a – duo push the pile in from the goal line i've seen that i've seen that movie before a few times another like underrated thing that sometimes people don't think about is maybe the defense was gassed and they needed a timeout for that for that down because like if you're going hurry up and you're playing man in that scenario you want your guys with a little bit of rest but i mean i don't think it's worth calling it just sometimes people don't think about that well, if, if, if memory serves, they had like 12 plays in the drive and like only three, maybe four were successful. Like this wasn't like Ohio State was marching the ball down the field. The mm-hmm. defense was largely dominating play by play. They just couldn't get off the field. You know, there's there's there a pick, would have been a pick six that would have ended the game. They just dropped it. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. No, you're right. And I think they converted a couple of third and longs. It was like they were in third and nine or ten two or three times and converted. And then after the grounding is like, they completed a ball down to the one yard line. It was just chunk plays after mostly good defense. That's right. Was, that it, was, a, was it a fourth, was it a fourth down or a third down that uh, they completed it to the little slot number two down to the like five or four. Was that fourth down? That was third. It was, th- they, they called grounding. And then I think it was like third and goal from the 19th. That's right. Or no. And no, they, got a first, they got a first down. 
Right. It was like right. third and it was like third and fifteen ish. Correct. And it was like from the nineteen yard line, so they could get the first, but they. Yeah, and then that's right. And then they spiked it. They spiked it. All right. So yeah. what happened? They subbed a guy out. I guess they the, the, the nickel came, came out. out. Maybe they maybe they stubbed the lineman and four came out and three went in or something like that. I don't. I, don't I bet know. the nickel came out much. and they went heavy, and one yeah. of the D linemen just didn't go in. Oh, well, um, moving on. Sorry for uh, rubbing salt. And no, the- Glance, I got another question Okay, to do with kind of that game with analytics. All right, hammer offense, JJ. Notre Dame. Oh Glance and I had argued about this. Four I minutes. think one, you should have ran the ball. I don't care what the play call is. Just run the ball all three downs. That screen, they almost threw a pick on. So as I was watching that drive, and you guys can speak on offense way more, like you need first downs. The problem was, so they get two chunk first downs immediately, which is great. They're getting field position, but they weren't burning time. Yeah. So they got two first downs, but it only run two plays. You'd almost rather nine-yard games than 11-yard games. Exactly. And that's not the end of the world, but then the killer – and I, I said it, I just kind of blurted it out. We were watching it before our team meeting night before the game, but like I almost like blurted it out. I was like, on on first down in the third series of downs, they took, I think it was their only negative play of the game. And that became destructive because now you needed one first down to close the game. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're in second and 15, whatever it was. Now you're in a tough spot because to your point, Burst, like you'd like to run or easy completion, high, high rate of completion to keep the clock running, but you need 15 yards to close the game out. And there's not a real obvious situation. Now on the third down play, I like them throwing. And obviously they, I think that was the screen we were talking about, right? They ran it on second. They ran a sec- screen on second. I like throwing on third down because I know if, if I score, if I get the first down, game's over. So I want my best play to convert first. Ryan Day actually screwed that situation up. He let the clock run instead of using their final timeout. Absolutely. And so when they got the ball back, it was like a minute 20. Yeah. But he wanted that final timeout. And it but kind of goes better, back to what we talked about earlier. I was going to ask, would you have called a timeout there or would you pocket it? 100%. You, you, you have to use... In my I'd opinion, a minute and fifty with, I'm, and these are I'm speaking in generalities. I don't exactly remember how much time there was, but I'd rather have a minute fifty no timeouts than a minute and twenty in one timeout. Because so, yeah. on offense, especially in college, but in general, offense can control the pace of timeouts. And if you're the trailing team, you want your timeouts to be worth forty seconds, uh, as much of forty seconds as possible. So let's so look at it this way. He doesn't burn a timeout. Notre Dame runs 40 seconds off the play clock and punts. He saves that timeout for offense. Yep. They're already running hurry up. So even if they complete a ball inbound short of a first down, they're probably snapping it. Let's say it's 20 on the play clock. A timeout saves them 20 seconds, not 40 like it was on defense. Not to mention the offense also has the advantage of penalties stop the clock. Ball out of bounds stops the clock. First down pauses the clock. So you always, in my opinion, always want to use your timeouts on defense. And to to uh, to Glanch's comment, like I'd rather have time and no timeouts on offense than burn the time on defense. So 
yes, it maximizes your time in theory, like mathematically. Sure. But back to my point earlier about saving, like, I guess, stamina, you got to have a timeout if you can in case of a sack on a vertical pass play. Because if you take a sack and you're running verts, those receivers running back are one, it's going to take forever. Two, they're going to line up gassed, and then your next play is screwed. So, so what you're saying is what you're saying is the receivers need to be in better shape. I mean, sure. But yes, but everyone says we like, can't right, what's the sack. number one rule in two minutes? For the quarterbacks quarterback. can't take a sack. That's so Correct. but you gotta save it for that scenario, I think. I think it was the right call. Well Well, clearly it was the right call. That right? That's I, the, no that's, that's they, like, because know, they, because they didn't run out of logical fallacy. Had Ohio State lost, they were out of time, they weren't out of plays. But here's the chess move. They didn't want any time left on the clock to give Notre Dame the ball back. So actually, that's way easier to control control. on offense. What? That's way easier to control on offense. Hey, playing chess. I have a little. I have a little side note here because you mentioned this. Is there anything better than watching the end of a great college football game before team meeting on Saturday night? It's great, and Coach Reich was awesome about it. I've had coaches that are like. All right, let's get in the team meeting. It's like literally the entire team is bonding over this game. And, of course, I was one of those guys. We have Von Bell. He was obviously rooting for Ohio State. Tommy Tremble played at Notre Dame. Like two or three guys are super emotionally invested. But everyone yeah. becomes invested. And then, of course, somebody loses. And then that guy, like, like me, goes in in a really sour mood. And everyone's making fun of me walking into the team meeting. It's great camaraderie building. That never um, happens. With, that never happens with Wofford, I know. But no, um, see, I get just to pick a side every time and just be a troll. Like a few but, times, but the troll year, part is the, is probably the best spot to be in. Yep. There's no doubt. I I just that that is that is an all time like it's it's hard to explain. But just watching the game with 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 the whole team in the meal room, like I think last year. Uh, Coach Belichick like postponed the team meeting by like 15, 20 minutes so we could watch the end of Alabama, Tennessee. And it was just back and forth and back and forth. And it was uh there's just I mean it's 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 awesome. That that is and especially that is if you don't cool especially moments. if you don't have a serious rooting interest. Yeah, and Notre Dame's played enough of these sort of like late afternoon evening games that I've been in that position. I don't know that Notre Dame's ever won when I've been in that spot. So it's always devastating. Like I'm sitting in the back of the room watching, knowing I know how this movie ends for me. Um, but it, but again, like you said, it's great camaraderie building. And it was good because we had had Chapel earlier in the day. So I think I was in a better mindset to handle handle the loss than uh, yeah. if we hadn't had Chapel yet. And I probably would have flown off the deep end a little quicker. <laughs> uh, um, all right, real quick. Uh, Colorado major dose of reality. Obviously they're missing Travis Hunter, but major dose of reality from Oregon. I think I saw something and I don't, it's hard to buy any of this stuff, especially early in the season, but whatever the ESPN's S and P plus or whatever it is ratings, they're like all the way down to 79th again, which is like, they're like, again, and, and what, what coach, what, what Dion's done there has been unbelievable, but I'd like to get your thoughts on that. But, it's like they're better at quarterback and receiver and then everywhere else are the same team, even after this entire overhaul. Yeah. I, 
look, I think everyone got excited because we we all viewed that TCU game instinctively as like, oh, they beat last year's national runner-up. But and, and TCU's ranked like 13th or something. I, I think preseason rankings are stupid because nobody knows how any how good anybody is. Especially in today's college football. Today's college football. And everybody, yeah, every team's a new team every year. There's no telling what's going on. So I think we all kind of jumped on that. I mean, I don't I mean they 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 looked good against Nebraska. I didn't think Nebraska was very good. So so that didn't feel like a big win. And then and then they played Colorado State, who nobody thinks is good to yeah. double overtime. I think the reality was they they were 3 and 0 against three teams they should have beat based on the talent we know that they've got at a couple key positions. But I think the early sort of the, the early prognosis was they couldn't block anybody and they couldn't stop anybody's run game. Yeah. And that's what showed. And, and then look, football's about matchups. Like that's what they got. They go on the road. It's loud. It's harder to communicate. I mean, you guys know as well as anybody, when you go on the road and it's loud and that stadium is off the charts loud, the only way you can quiet the crowd is to run the ball, slow the game down, take the crowd out of it. As soon yeah. as the crowd figures out that they can control the game by their noise. Like we just played in Seattle. It was so loud. As soon as the crowd figures out that they can control the game by volume, it's Snowball. it's a it's hell on an offense, especially yeah, in the passing game, because there's so much there's so much extra communication that goes on when you're trying to throw the ball consistently. Um I I wasn't I wasn't surprised at least. I, I'm still impressed with what they've done, but I don't think they're a top twenty five team. I didn't think they were after no, any of the three weeks either looking at their schedule i mean if they finish seven and five this year obviously it's a i mean they're, they're i think their their win total was like three and a half so obviously it's already nearly a success and was it really yeah they're gonna win another game you would think and vegas know, sets their win total at, five even vegas set their preseason win total at three and a half i believe that's what it was yeah wow and the reality is and obviously all that stuff's getting adjusted but i I look at betting markets all the time because I think that's the most honest evaluation of teams. Yep. Yeah. Vegas isn't in it to to promote to any pitch a narrative or tell a story. Like they're trying to get as close to as obviously also, are are people wrong? Sure, but like there's no extra motive other than getting it right in Vegas. So that stuff's valuable. And what's interesting about that is they take the like I guess feel good variable and put it in there so that 21 point spread actually should have been closer to 24 they just knew people would pounce on colorado and got sucked yeah in fact that's a good point because i was asking i had uh i had a a buddy um who hopefully we'll 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 have on sometime who mentioned that he got oregon money line for like minus 700 and i was like that seem those odds seem like decently good for a 21 point favorite and he was like well there was so much money on colorado that they had to shift the they had to shift the the yeah. money line odds yeah and they didn't shift it as much as they probably should have because they yeah. were very confident oregon would win yeah the, the reality is like to you guys point about those those lines like vegas is trying to get it right but they also still have to run the business yes. but when when it showed up that, that they were minus 21 i was like okay they Nobody thinks that Colorado is anywhere close to Oregon, like at all. Because it, to your guys' point, 
if anything, they're probably skewed it a little bit more towards Colorado just to make the money even, just because of the story. I don't think there's a lot of people in the country naturally putting a lot of money on Oregon in any game in early September. It's just not, they're not the, the national brand that Colorado has become or USC or Texas or Miami or these other places that might get a little more national attention. Mm-hmm. Um, Bert, Wilson, you you want to uh, give us should, some Nebraska update? Should we do our rule update of the week? Hey, let me check in on, check in on Coach Rule and the Cornhuskers. All right. At home, Louisiana Tech. Tied at the half, 7-7. But he ended up squeaking out the win at home, 28-14. Two and two. We got to 500. <laughs> With wins against Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech. Is this a, is this a weekly segment? Yep. Yeah, I – I argued with Glanch that he's not a good coach and was overrated in college, and I don't think he'll be successful at Nebraska. Glanch thinks he's one of the best college coaches of all time, so I'd like to hear. Whoa! I'd like to hear. No, no, I might need to hear this story a little bit better. Is that an overreaction? Of, I mean, I got receipts. I can pull them up via text, Glanch. Best of all time. I said one of. I would love for you to find. You said his resume is up there with some of the greats. I would love for you to find that comment. Um, what I said was he's been outstanding in the past at turning two historically not very good football programs around. And he did, in my mind, an objectively good job turning Temple around. He has the winningest season in Temple history yeah. and turning Baylor around in which he has, I believe, the third – no, I'm sorry. He has the – I'll have to go back and look. But he has three of the top, like, five – winningest seasons at both of those programs. All right. What is Temple's mascot? The Owls. And Correct. what does an owl say? That's, I mean, that good one. Who, yeah. who, who, who cares? Don't <laughs> care what he did at Temple. Now, the Baylor thing, I don't think is as objective as you say. This is we went, we went through the schedule. His, his, his 10, was it 10 wins or 11? Well, how many this wins? This is moving have? the goalpost. At its finest. Ten. I believe they were 11 and 3. All right. I went through the schedule, and the only ranked team he beat was number 25, Texas, at home. Can't beat anyone that you don't play, Pods. Okay, but he didn't – that's not impressive to me. Hold on. All right. Does does JJ want to weigh in, and then yeah. I'm done. All right. Please. Sorry. We could argue for hours on this. JJ? I, I think these are fascinating, like, these are fascinating arguments. See, what I think Coach Rule did really, really well at both those places is he, he walked into two environments that obviously the program was kind of at lows for different reasons, but definitely at lows. And the thing that I've seen from going back and just kind of reviewing what he did was go get a bunch of really, really talented athletes and teach them football. So where I think his advantage was, was, acquiring raw athletic talent and teaching them how to play. And in that they probably were the better athlete team almost all the time. By the time, by the time year three came both the temple and year four, cause I think he had two 10 win seasons at temple. And then the year three at Baylor, by the time those athletes kind of rose up to being juniors, let's say like they were probably the more athletic team in most of the games that they played. And then to, to Burst's point about the top 25, 
who are those teams that he's losing to? Probably other teams that are wildly talented and wildly athletic. The Oklahomas, the Texases. What's that? In in Baylor's case, Oklahoma twice, both in overtime, and then Georgia in the Sugar Bowl, I think it was, or something like that. Yeah. So any of the good teams he played, he lost to. Very diplomatic way of putting it, JJ. I like that. Yeah, I I try to be as diplomatic as I can be. But I think what what you end up seeing there is – one of the things, one of the things that I sort of learned in my time with Coach Rule in the NFL, and then watching college, is it be, it solidified my belief that college coaching and NFL coaching are different. And I think sometimes we want to like say NFL coaching is more challenging or college football is more challenging. Like I just think that they're different, and yeah. the rules required to be successful are different. And in the NFL, it's much harder to acquire talent. And there's a great, great emphasis on having schematic advantage versus other teams, because I I really believe coaching from the standpoint of not from motivation, like we talked about with Dion, like Dion appears to be an unbelievable motivator, but in the NFL, everybody's motivated. Everybody's trying to survive to the next week or trying to get that next contract, um, trying to get to the playoffs, trying to play in prime time, like that becomes a motivation. So everybody's already got it. And teams, because of the draft rules, and you guys know I love the draft, you're disincentivized. In order to get better talent, you should lose. So it's a much different it's a much different way of acquiring talent. Whereas in college, if you can get talent and win, you get better talent. Yeah, it's a it's a much different way of orchestrating a roster, and that's why I think you see college coaches struggle in the NFL, and I think that's why you see NFL coaches go to college and struggle. Is it's just the rules to be successful in college don't necessarily apply to the NFL. Um, and in college, I think there's a lot of different ways to win. In the NFL, you probably have got to figure out the quarterback. Or in the case of like a San Francisco over the last six years, they've had a bunch of different quarterbacks, but the scheme is so quarterback friendly. Like we were talking about this with some teammates, like Nick Mullins had a 4,600 yard season. Over, or, or maybe parts of two seasons, like 16 games, 4,500 yards in the Shanahan offense because he makes it highly, highly beneficial for quarterbacks. It's why every yeah. guy there has some level of success. So it's yeah. either scheme or the quarterback. In college, you can win a lot of different ways, and usually the best talent's going to win in college. Yeah. So with that said, he was able to – let's just put it like this. He was a good recruiter and developer of those athletes back – in Temple and Baylor, correct? So there's no doubt about it. Wildly, wildly successful. And then you look at the NFL and he he drafted a ton of really good athletes. Like there's something called the relative athletic score. Um, and if you kind of follow who we drafted for two or three years, they were all like elite athletes at their position. Like there was definitely a model that was that he was following that was very successful in college. Even at the long snapper position. Yeah, we don't have to bring that up. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that later. But but, but fear... I think th- there was there's definitely a mo- there's definitely a model that he was trying to apply. I'm just not totally certain that in the NFL that model. I, I do think there's value to it. I don't think it has the same unique effect in the NFL that I think it did, did in college, especially when you're rebuilding college programs. Yeah, you you need you need great athletes in the NFL. Every team's Pretty similar talent-wise. Well, that's that's what I'm 
afraid of with the new college football is yeah. he that strategy might not be able to be applied. I think that's a very fair criticism, and it's one that I've considered. Um, is he's gonna? I would imagine at Nebraska and at all of these schools, I think they have to reevaluate their model for bringing teams in because it's there's more free agency in college than there is in the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, that's, you're going to, I don't, I think it'd be very hard to be a coach in college that was kind of old school disciplinarian. You've really got to be good with the relationships that the kids feel loved and, and cared for while being coached hard because I think, I think everyone's naturally looking for, I want, I want to go someplace with more money, rightfully so, or I go someplace that maybe I'm treated better. And look, I'm 37 years old. When a coach coaches me hard, I still get my feelings hurt. Like, I don't think that stuff ever goes, ever goes away. Right. 18 year old kid getting coached hard. Their feelings are definitely going to be hurt. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. That's all good stuff. Um, Shall we dive into the NFL? Uh, quick, we got to do a quick Wofford update. We lost again at VMI, so 0-4. Not Virginia running the wing tee anymore, right? No, we're actually running more of like a spread run option spread. I don't Virginia, know. Virginia Military Institute? Yes, VMI. Okay. SMU lost to 34-17 to the Frogs. Dang. Um, we do not get the iron skillet. Yeah. The Weird. What? Yeah, my wife, as you guys know, my wife went to TCU, so obviously I was on that side of that rivalry. Um, yet another week of lore rubbing it in the TCU one and Notre Dame did not. But um, iron skillet, kind of an interesting trophy. Honestly, no clue where it comes from. I feel like I should know this, but I have no idea where it comes from or what the... Is it like a cast iron? Yeah. Texas? That makes I sense. I don't know. Yeah. You think that you think they're cooking steaks on that, or is that more like breakfast? Well, we and... always we always cook up frog legs when we win. I say always because oh. we don't win very often, but yeah. Hopefully, they're not cooking up the opposite. Horse. Yeah. I, hopefully, it's not going both ways. That's not great. Uh. Um, All right. Let's jump to NFL. Yeah. Enough college football. Uh, you want to go through each game like we did last time. Glenn. Yeah, let's try and, uh, and then, you know, some of these obviously we'll get into a little more, but yeah, let's go through them. All right, we were just talking about Shanahan and San Francisco. That was the Thursday night game, 30-12 over the Giants. Um, I mean, I, honestly, I didn't even watch much of it. There's, It was just kind of a dominant performance again by the Niners. They look like a well-oiled machine uh, offensively and defensively. I yeah. think only thing with them is going to be the red zone. Um, getting the you know, scoring touchdowns in the red zone as opposed to selling for field goals. Yeah. I think they're right in the middle of the pack right now, but you know, do you believe in Purdy being legit? Like, or is it just what we were talking about earlier, where he's just kind of a I believe, I believe in what Jage was saying earlier in Kyle Shanahan's scheme and the ability to maximize, uh, I mean. You know, just production from a quarterback standpoint, given that given the weapons that they have and, and his play calling ability in their scheme. I what I think Brock Purdy does really, really well is execute the Kyle Shanahan offense. And so is he the most wildly talented guy? No, but 
he appears every time I turn on television, he appears to be accurate with the ball, hit and find the open receiver. And, and you guys, I know you guys know, like I'm into analytics. He has had some luck in not throwing interceptions yeah. when they should have been yeah. picks. Yeah. So do no, I no. think that there's, do I think that there could be a little regression? Absolutely. But the system and the weapons they have around him, there was a stat yesterday, EPA, which is just basically this idea of how many yards and w- turned into points happen. They had 25 points essentially created on just run after the catch. Yeah. So that's now is that's pretty finding the open guy, hitting him accurately, and then letting those guys do what they do. Yeah. Um, no, two no. is the other guy that's kind of had that same sort of unique. Uh, EPA after the catch because of Tyree Kill and well, okay, those so other guys, but it's the same but system. Interestingly enough, Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan. I mean, are there two better play callers in the NFL? For for my money, right now, no. And and again, what do they what do they have? They've got outstanding athletes. They've got a great scheme, and they've got quarterbacks that their best talent is accuracy. Yeah. Now that doesn't that doesn't apply everywhere, and it's not the only way to win. But when you pair all that stuff together, it's certainly a lethal combination, and they've they've kind of figured it out in those two places right now. Yeah. Well, and you got Debo that you can just throw a little snap pass to on third and eighteen to get a first down. And, I mean, huge benefit to the quarterback. There's no doubt about it, right? And and even though San Francisco missed on on um, on Trey Lance, like they've got the advantage right now. They've got a quarterback making $700,000 and yeah. that allow and the and the scheme allows him to play much higher than that probably like he's pro- he's playing like a 35 40 45 million dollar quarterback they're paying him 700 grand and they pay all the other, other incredible athletes and they just they just go and that's a huge advantage that, that they can hang on to it they'll be good for a while yeah absolutely um, uh, Daniel Jones, anything to worry about there, Lance? Or just patience? I, I, I think uh, just uh, you know, we talked a little bit about regression. I think that was natural for the Giants this year. Um, definitely a little bit of patience with with Daniel early this year. I think Dayball's a great play caller. I think he's a great coach. Um, but I think the Giants were destined to sort of regressed to the mean this year. I mean, you look at what he did in the second half against the Cardinals. There's still talent there. There's still the ability to get hot. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily worry about them. They, I mean, they, they were overmatched on Thursday night. Simply, simply, simple as that. I think sometimes uh, that's just the way it is. Um, cool. All right, next on. one. Chargers 28 at Minnesota 24. It was a good game. Um, Herbert played amazing 40 of 47 for 405 yards. I know we talked about him last week with a quote from some JJ. I don't know if you saw this quote, some AFC scouting director basically added Herbert and the chargers and was like, he's got elite talent, but he's not an elite quarterback. So I'm glad he went out there and played like that. Yeah. I, I, I think every piece of data says that he's an elite quarterback. Um, yeah. I haven't I haven't looked at the exact numbers through week three, but I bet you um, I know through week two he was one of the highest in completion percentage over expected, basically meaning 
is is he completing the pat is he completing passes he should at a rate better than he should and he is yeah. he's also wildly talented and i think the kellen moore offense which i think had a good amount of success in dallas yeah it's going to suit him well it it, it, I mean, it suits what he does well um and you know i'll probably i'll be able to pull it up by the end of the by the end of the show but like yeah, he's he's impressive. Like he's super talented, and I think their system's probably a little bit better suited for him than it's been in the last few years. Um, yeah. Again, NFL is a very connected system. You you can't just be good. Like I think we've seen a little bit with Josh Allen. Like Josh Allen, equally super talented. Brian Dable was there, and they were putting up crazy numbers. Maybe mm-hmm. regress a little bit but he played unbelievable in week three. So like it play caller quarterback team, like it's all interconnected. It, we can't just say, Hey, one guy's good or bad based on one or two pieces of information. Yeah, you gotta try and look at the whole picture was the offense. Absolutely. But if you're, if you're looking for those guys, those five or seven guys worthy of getting paid all that money, you got to put Josh Allen. In it. You got to put Justin Herbert in it. Like that, that becomes incredibly clear because that level of talent you, it's, you can't it's sort require of it. It's no. sort of the difference maker when, when all else is equal. Yeah, absolutely. And some, and, and as you guys know, sometimes the other, the other team's got a better scheme than you for that, and they got you figured out. And having those guys that are unique in that way bail you out of some tough spots. That's why they're making all the money that they're making. Yeah, two more quick things I want to get. Number one, I know as an analytics guy, you'll love this word, but is the Vikings struggles this year – can you just put it down to the word variance? Very it's regression to the mean. They're eleven and zero in one score games. They're zero and three this week. Um, we play them this week, so I hope it's zero and four. Um, no, yeah, I hope. It's I think look more I than think Kirk Cousins. What's that? I said I hope it's more than a one score win. Uh, yeah, I don't I even want that stat to. But apply. if you told me they were zero and four in one score games after this week, then we You'll both won, and I was good with it. Um, uh, yeah, I, look. I think Minnesota Minnesota won 13 games last year, and I think they had barely over um, a positive point differential. Like when you talked about the Giants, they were yeah. nine and eight. They actually gave up more points than they scored. Typically, that, I mean Vegas looks at those sorts of things, yards per play, to kind of predict the future. But anyone can get hot, or anyone can get some good luck, or the right bounce of the ball. But Minnesota is still good. They probably weren't 13 wins last year, and they're not an 0-3 team this year. I mean, it's the truth is it's somewhere in the middle, probably in both cases. Yeah. Kirk Cousins is still playing really good football. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the ball hasn't bounced their way as much this year. And, um, again, Bunks, ho- ho- hopefully, hopefully they can get it going better for them, but after this week. Um, That's right. Because we'd, we'd like to get rolling, too. That's right. Um, and then my other question about that game is uh, fourth down, own whatever it was, fourth and one. Yep. Are I, I know what the I know what the book says. Um, yep. But I mean, how do you? I don't know. Well, how do you not trust your defense there, regardless of what the book says? Are well, you just? Is it just like? Is it just like? This is what this is what the numbers say. So I'm going to do it like. I mean, sure. from your perspective, why, 
why do you do that regardless of what the book says? Because their defense had played decently. I mean, they're, you know, 24 points is right. But they had just made a goal line stop. It's like, do you want to test your luck again? Walk us through the whole scenario. And I'm going to try to pull up the exact like down and distance in time. But JJ, so, I'm sure you know the percentages and stuff. I remember seeing it on ESPN. Yeah. So um, I, I don't remember all the exact particulars. But basically right. what you're dealing with there is the Chargers have a four-point lead. So you're defending – I think Staley said it, referred to it this way. You're defending four points. You're not defending three. So the math, the math says you go for it there and it, for a couple – and here's the reasons why. First of all, the percentage of converting a fourth and one are very high. And by converting it, if I remember correctly, the game was over. I think Minnesota fourth might have been one. out of timeouts. All right, so on third and eleven. Um, Minnesota took their last time out a minute 51 left. So it's fourth and one. So you convert. So the easy, the easiest math is this. What percentage of the time do you convert fourth and one? So let's say, let's say that's 75%. Would you say that's a fair number? Yeah. Okay. So if you convert, if you convert, you win 75% of the games. You also have this advantage of two, and here's kind of this is why the math starts going kind of crazy this way is the defense can still make a stop if you give the ball up. And because they don't have timeouts, but you do, they could also score a touchdown. You get the ball back and go down the field, kick the ball, go into overtime, or go down and score a touchdown and win the game. So when you start looking at what are the odds of us converting this. And winning, I think the odds of them converting it, plus all those other things, like the win probability was about 86, 87%. Yeah. But by punting, they're still going to win most of the games that they punt the ball away in. Yeah. But but here's the downside. When you punt the ball away, they're going to use up almost all of the clock going down if they score. So not only can they still beat you and they're not going to settle for a field goal. Like Staley talked about defending four, not three on defense. I'd rather defend three and not four because I know that at some point that offensive coach is going to say to themselves, I don't want to blow the field goal and I'm going to part. I'm going to pump the brakes defending four. It's four downs and it is full steam ahead. There is, there's a very emotional connection with offensive play callers not wanting to risk getting a field goal off when they a field goal would tie the game. And yeah. as a special teams guy, I see this all the time. I've stopped telling – now Chris Tabor's here. He's really good and he understands this. But we would never tell offensive play callers what the number is for our kicker because what they'll do is, let's say the yard line is the 40-yard line, a 58-yard field goal. Mm-hmm. I've seen way too many play callers. They get the ball inside the 40 – Say it's the 38. And then they essentially put their hands up and say, go kick it. I did my job. And and it's your fault if you miss it. And like, very, uh, I have a memory of, um, I want to say it was 2018. I can't remember for sure, but it might have been you guys against the Giants. Yep. And Gano, did he, did he make that kick? I can't remember. He made it. We told, we told Ron. We, t- we told Ron, hey, he's good from 65 going in that direction. And 
the offense got the ball basically just barely past midfield. I think we got to the plus 45, which would have been the kick. And there was a lot, there was craziness going on and Graham bailed us out of the whole thing. But there was definitely an element of, I don't know what everyone's complaining about. We got into field goal range and we're like, that's a 10% kick. Like, yeah, I'm like, not telling you. I'm not opening my mouth again. I'm not telling you my range. Absolutely. Like, get as close. Now, get as close as you can get while taking reasonable risks. So I bring that all up because by defending four, the, the, the Vikings would have been way more aggressive, as they obviously were. They had to take shots into the end zone. I don't think Kirk throws that pick if they're, if they're trying to play for three. Right, yeah. but he knows he's got to throw it. At some point, he's got to get the ball in the end zone. Yep. So that's the advantage for the Chargers. I can end the game with a one-yard run or pass or whatever. Right, there's no risk in doing either or. You got the whole playbook. Yep. It, the game's over if you convert, and the defense can still defend four. And if they score quickly, you can take the ball back and get the ball game into overtime or yep. win. So there's a lot of benefit there. And my guess is the break-even yard line would probably have been about fourth and three, would be in where it's probably a coin flip. But but Staley's taken a lot of heat for some of these decisions. But I mean, to me, that one was overwhelmingly obvious. You go for it. Yeah, I overwhelmingly. I know you would have, but you are. I love I love putting my long snapper out there and just letting it rip and just booming one. Yeah, just punt one. Uh. All right, moving on. Well, I'm sure there'll be another analytics scenario that uh, Burst can question you about as we go. Browns, Titans. Browns dominated the Titans. Not much to say there. Uh, Browns have – they are far and defense. away the best defense in the league. They're playing great defense. Um, Did you see the Garrett sack at the end yeah. of the half? Yeah, he oh, is, I saw uh, the I saw the play where he kept, he was motioning on defense. A monster. And the, and the Titans were trying to match him. And they got to delay a game. That was – that's somebody playing free. He's a game changer. Yeah, yeah he sure is. He's unbelievable. Um, Glanch, did you see the Deshaun Watson play? Yes, I, I did. I, what, I, what, I, what was he thinking, that he was facing the other way? No clue. No, no, I, I don't know. I, I am not going to – I don't know what he was thinking. Let me, that was. let me paint the picture for the listeners. He was scrambling to his right, getting rushed out of the pocket – I think he was wrapped up and he kind of spun around and it looked to me like he was trying to just throw it away and avoid a sack, but he threw it completely backwards, like on a straight line backwards, like a pass. And it was a fumble, obviously. And luckily the Browns running back, I think, picked it up, but God, it was terrible looking. Yeah. Jim, Jim Schwartz has those guys playing great on defense. You're right, JJ. He's, he's been historically a great defensive coordinator. Yeah. Everywhere he's gone, they his teams have had success. And, I mean, I was looking at some numbers. Like, the Browns, they're not just the best defense. They're like they're like the Dolphins' offense of defense. I mean, it's way beyond what anyone else has done through three weeks. So, kudos to them. Do they play each other? The angry little man's got them playing good. Hopefully. That'd be a great, ma- that'd be a great matchup. Yeah. Uh, what you got next, Burst? Uh, Buffalo dominated at Washington, 37-3. Josh Allen yeah, played great again. Touched on that. Josh played great. They they look they still when when Josh plays good they're they're I mean it's you know they're very very hard to beat. The, the challenge I think for Josh Allen is his the sort of gunslinger quality. The upside is so good 
I think the challenge with any coach would would be how do we harness that and not the and, and not the turnovers because when he plays well, I'm it's they're unstoppable. That offense is unstoppable when he plays well. So you gotta like keep turning him loose. Yeah, um, I saw a great uh, Orlovsky had a great little clip on Sunday afternoon uh, evening talking about how different not how different he looks when they go under center play action and he's able to it's like it's like it just calms his mind down and he's able to just go all right one two check down as opposed to just being overly aggressive and pushing the ball down the field and like you said those highs and those lows if we can just temper those a little bit then he's still so good i i don't i i don't know what it's like playing quarterback but i just know what Again, I, I know what I see on the field, and then I kind of see the data. Like, if I'm a quarterback, I'd want to be under center as often as possible because, to me, assuming the right down and distance, to me, there's such an advantage in the defense at least having to consider the possibility of running. I would think it would clean a lot of stuff up for most quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree. With I would that. want to be in shotgun and just I run know. around. Just Let me just run in space. The advantage is Josh Allen can do both. He probably doesn't need one or the other, but I would. You are the definition of a contrarian. Hey, it's probably why I didn't play quarterback. Move along. Also, because I couldn't really throw. Um, New Orleans seventeen, Green Bay eighteen, at Lambeau. That was a good game, guys. That this that was an analytic move too. And going for two down fourteen, right? So they went for two down fourteen. Yeah, you score to make yourself down eight. Yeah, so it was, I think it was 17-3. They scored to make it 17-9. They went for two, got it, and then won the game with a touchdown PAT later. Um, and this hasn't happened all that often. A few times teams have done this, but the number – I think it's only once or twice where teams have done it, successfully converted the two, and won the game by one. A few times I think teams have done it, and all then right. – JJ, One or two things happened. It didn't really impact the game. Explain the scenario exactly. So, so and why? traditionally, old school football, you're down 14, you score a touchdown, you kick the PAT, you go down seven, touchdown PAT, you go tie the game, you go to overtime. Or occasionally teams would go for two to win the game versus going to overtime. Yep. As they played out all of the mathematical elements to this, the better option to do is to go for two when you score that first touchdown, to go from 14 to eight, and then eight to six. And the reason being is if you go, if you get it, if you get it, and it's 50-50 shot, reasonably, if you get the game to six, then a touchdown and PAT wins it, which is which is what you're gunning for. Because tying the game only makes the game about a coin flip likely going to overtime. Or what happens a lot is you tie the game, there's 30 seconds left, the other team gets the ball and they go down, kick a field goal, and they beat you. Right. So even if you tied the game, you're then kicking the ball off and you're even though you've tied it, you're still more likely to lose than to win. With this move, this analytical move going for it from touchdown to eight, going for the PAT, the two pointer and going to six. If you get it now, the opportunity is the PAT causes the win or take to take the lead. But if you miss it there's still another chance to tie the game, which was what you'd be probably playing to do anyways on the, um, by going for one each time. So the advantage comes in that it's almost like a free opportunity to take the lead 
with the downside being, yeah, you, you could lose on two, two point conversions. Um, but if teams do it well, an eight point game is really a two score game uh, half the time. Cause you're going to miss the PAT. So uh, really good analytic teams. If they miss the two point conversion, the first time will treat it like a two score game to save themselves time that if they score, miss the two point for a second time, they've left themselves a little bit of time to onside kick and kick a field goal to win. And it's just creating a little bit of margin um, for victory. And obviously it was perfectly executed by Green Bay. It's not always perfectly executed, but that's well, perfectly perfectly executed because the Saints missed a field goal. But yes, they did give themselves sure. the best chance to win. Right. Like it, it worked out. They got the two first. They got the PAT on the second time. And then, yes, then the Saints missed the kick. Um, but how much do you, how much do JJ, you do JJ, isn't there an element to it of at some point in the game you start implementing the strategy or is it throughout the entire game? Um, I've seen it both ways. I, I think the question you have to ask yourself is how many possessions are left in the game. Yeah. I think if there's a ton of possessions left in the game, the value is probably isn't as high. And you guys can speak on this. Most teams are not carrying four, five, six, two point conversions into a game. So I think coaches are typically trying to save. Like if you were down 14 in the second quarter, I don't know that you're going to get a lot of two point conversions in the second quarter because you'd like to save those plays maybe for the end of the game. But I think you get down in that two or three possessions left. Anything in the fourth quarter is there's probably some value. And then the only time I probably wouldn't do it is if you're probably inside the last two minutes, because the odds of you getting, let's say you missed the two point conversion, the odds of you getting the ball back and getting those two possessions in case you miss another two point conversion, there's just not a lot of time left. So you'd be almost better off doing it reverse, kicking the PAT first. And if we score at the end of the game, do we go for two and just end it here? Yeah. But, but I think that's, I think the perfect window for this analytic is kind of between like three and 10 minutes left in the game. Cause there's still some ways to sort of manipulate your time. So fourth quarter, you're not doing this. In Definitely first. fourth quarter, maybe late third, maybe depending on the flow of the game, you know, yeah. not, not all 60 minutes are made the same. I played in games with 14 possessions and I played in games with six possessions. Yeah. Possessions matter more than time. And so you kind of have a you have a flow and a feel for how, how quickly many, the game's moving. How many times are we going to get the ball back? Actually, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting to hear, like, as a casual fan that watches on TV, and they're like, "Wait, why is the coach doing this?" It's interesting to see, like, you break it down working backwards, right? Like, yeah, the scenarios, the what if scenarios to end a game, and you work backwards to it's where the you ultimate are. game. And, and, and I think the biggest deal is, right, like the ultimate game is to – or the ultimate goal is to win, and not only win, but win in regulation. And so how do you maximize your chance to win in regulation? Because once you get to overtime, you may not see the ball. You know, I mean, it's – there's too many extenuating factors. And I think that's kind of a new school way of thinking as much as uh, I tried I, I tried to push back against analytics. The, the, the reality is, like, the NBA – didn't like the three-point shot because you missed a lot of them until the analytics came in and said, hold on, there is value to shooting a bunch of these, especially at some rate of success. I think what you're finding is natural human emotion 
coaches are bound by natural human emotion. And one of those feelings is loss aversion. So coaches are typically trying to avoid losing or like the way we always say it is like delay losing. So if I can kick a PAT and be down seven, everyone feels good. And the coach doesn't feel like a decision has been made that has cost his team. Yeah. What I think these analytics are giving coaches protection and saying, I'm trying to win and I'm putting my team in the best position to win. And yes, there is a risk that comes with it, but there's also a risk in doing it the opposite way. Like again, kicking two PATs, the risk is they get the ball back and kick a field goal to beat you and you never threaten them to take the lead or you go to overtime and you never get the ball back. But coaches in those situations would have normally said, well, you know, you know, we just didn't have enough time or they got the ball. But I think what you're seeing is these smart people that are looking at these opportunities are saying, no, you can positively affect the game in a real way as a coach with your decision-making. And I think that's why you're seeing this evolution more towards taking more reasonable risk because it's actually benefiting the team and not hurting it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Next game. We'll let's go through these quickly because I want to – get to the other stuff in the episode. Um, Detroit 20, Atlanta 6. I know y'all play Detroit in two weeks? In a couple weeks. Detroit's good. They got a good offensive system. If their defense plays that well, they'll be good. And I'm obviously not upset that Atlanta and New Orleans lost because we need those guys to lose more. No doubt. I think that Atlanta's a tough one just because they're so talented around that quarterback. They can, if they can get Ritter playing well, they'll be, they'll be pretty scary, but uh, you know, it's, that's obviously right now that's an F. I mean, they've managed, they, what are they two and one now? They managed to win their first two and then they got obviously handled by the line. So. Yeah. Uh, Atlanta's advantage is if they can play neutral or with the lead that plays into their strengths. I think if they fall behind, that's a much tougher road for them to play from. It's like my uh, college career, running the triple option. Yeah. Impossible to play from behind. You just auto L. All right. Houston won 37-17 at Jacksonville. Surprising the way Jacksonville's looked, and Stroud looked great. Stroud's played really well. I think he's off to sort of a historic rookie start. Yep. And special teams love fullback, returned a squib kick for a touchdown. I or I must have squib. It might have just been a miss hit, but pretty impressive. It was, it was, Never it seen was, that before in my life. It was just a short kick, and I think he actually dropped it and then picked it up and took it all the way to the house. It was impressive and for him to outrun everybody. Uh I think I saw he almost hit 21 miles an hour. That's really impressive for a yeah. uh, for a ball carrier who was also a fullback. Adrenaline was running. Yeah. No doubt. Uh one thing, JJ, I'm, I think. Houston's OC is a Shanahan guy. So it'd be, I'd be curious. Uh, Bobby Slovic. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to watch as Stroud develops and, um, and, and, you know, his progression within that similar style of offense. It would certainly, you know, my understanding watching a little bit of college and then reading kind of about him, it certainly seems like a good fit, right? Like Stroud was kind of known as the, um, the accurate player get the ball out on time. Like that was where his value is. And that again, goes back to pairing. That might've been a really good pairing. So uh, it's, it's most rookies struggle, no matter how good they are. It's always kind of cool to see a young guy play well coming out. Cause you know, 
you know, NFL's hard and young guys are you usually go to bad teams There's and no there isn't a lot around you. So when they get off to a good start, that's usually a, at least a decent sign that you're, you got something going there. Yeah. I think Houston's going to be well coached, going to be better than people think. Um, New England 15 at Jets 10. Glance, your old team. 15 in a row for the path over the Jets. Um, that's insane for a divisional tough. rivalry. Uh, especially, you know, and, and every game's been about, oh, I say every game. In recent memory, every game's been about like that. Uh, you know, in 2021, the Jets weren't very good. Uh, and we, we uh, I was up there. We blew them out twice or beat them handily twice. Um, last year, both games were exactly like this. It's hard for the Jets right now. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, it, I, I don't know. There's not, it's, it's tough for them right now. I, you know, it's, they, they, uh, there was so much excitement going into this year and kind of went out the window in four plays. And Garrett yeah. Wilson is a fellow Lake Travis Cavalier. I know he was very excited to uh, play with Aaron. And um, I don't know. I, it's, it, it, it's just hard. For those guys, I mean, that, they, that no, I will say this. they invested a lot in Aaron and the offensive line has been bad. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Yeah. Like really bad. Historically, the, no. the, the, the challenge, the challenge that the Jets are dealing with is they were a team that essentially brought in Aaron to solve problems that they already had. And great quarterback you know tom brady last year in tampa bay offensive line was not particularly good but tom solved a lot of their problems got the ball out quick gets them into good stuff i mean they essentially traded for and paid aaron all that money to solve the problems then he gets hurt those problems still exist and the one person that could have solved them is no longer there that i mean that's i mean it stinks for the jets football is better when the when the Jets are good. The Giants are good. You know, like that stuff matters. And then obviously such a legendary quarterback like Aaron being out, that's, that's not good for anybody. Yeah. We can, we can get more into the, to the Zach Wilson stuff there later. It's, it's, uh, that's, it's a, it's a tough situation. All right. Next game, Miami 70, 70, Denver 20. They are really fun to watch uh, on offense. I mean, two has got, Weapons all over the place. Mike McDaniel's as creative as they get. Uh, I'll let uh, I'll let I'll let JJ weigh in there a little bit too. Seventy points. Um, look, I think Miami's really really good. They are playing to their strengths. They're obviously fast. They've got a quarterback that's wildly accurate. Um, McDaniel, I think, is fantastic, and you know it's all meshing together. Now. I, Look, it's three weeks, and teams are going to keep figuring things out. And sometimes we've all been part of those games on both sides where it's like they're blowouts. Now, 70 to 20 is uniquely bad, and it felt like Miami – I don't want to say they're running it up, but they kept running their offense in the fourth quarter. Like, they weren't running the clock out. So, you know, it's a – but again, Mike White came in, and he was slinging the ball over the yard, and there were still guys running free. What, what I think McDaniel does really well and Shanahan does this really well, and I know every coach is trying to do this, but it just feels like those guys are really good at it, is figuring out what your rules are on defense and then designing plays to break them so that when you play correctly, you're wrong. 
yeah. think that is a impressive skill. I think we're, you're always hoping to, to challenge the other team, but the idea that you would play your defense correctly and be hurt by that is, and that's tough. I and mean, that's really, really tough to go against. And so they've done it really well. And then, you know, again, I'm impressed with Mike McDaniel. He's, he is a, he is a very impressive play caller. Yeah. He's been very good. You know, it's impressive to me going back to the team we were just talking about the new England defense last week, I think was a week two against Miami. Mm-hmm. They made that offense look nothing like a 70 point offense. And I was talking about Gonzalez, that rookie corner who shadowed Cheetah the whole game. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, but Cheetah came out this week with a quote complimenting how good Gonzalez is. So I know we're talking about Miami's offense, but New England's defense. I think he's one of the top. Good. I think he's one of the top ranked corners in the league through three weeks. And yes, he looks very impressive. And, and New England's defense is uh, schematically very impressive. I mean, they, they obviously lost McCourty, but other than that, they're they're pretty similar. And I know Devin's a big piece, but they're, they're, it'll be impressive. It'll be it'll be fun to watch how their defense progresses this year because I think they have a chance to be really good again. Um, I thought of that too when I was. I mean, twenty four points is a good performance, but like you said, yeah, it's, I mean, they were for the most part held in check. Yeah. Um, that division is stacked. Can you imagine yeah. if Aaron Rodgers didn't get hurt? All four of those teams are playoff teams. Um, Indy 22 at Baltimore 19 in overtime. That was surprising. Baltimore not, you, not Sorry, I'm, I'm charging my phone here. Um, not usually too many games where there's a kicker, a small kicker storyline that includes Justin Tucker, and he's not the storyline, but um, Matt Gay had an impressive day. It would, would look like really, really gross conditions. Five field goals that he five, made? I think he had four over 50. Yeah. So not just uh, five chip shots. I mean, that's yeah, an impressive day. Well. And there's There was a great article. I'm trying to remember who wrote it, but basically Matt Gay started in Tampa, went to L.A., was great, and now he's with the Colts. And the, the title of the article was, you're probably drafting somebody else's kicker. And Matt Gay has become a little bit of the poster child of this. Um, and there's been a few others, but but it takes specialists a couple, usually a couple stops to figure it out. Um, remember, Matt Gay was run out of Tampa because he missed that kick versus uh, the Giants. I think it was the Giants three or four years ago. Maybe Daniel Jones is like first start. And, yeah. you know, they, they wanted him out of there real fast. He's one of the all-time highest percentage kickers in NFL history now. Just take some of these guys. It just takes a couple iterations, yeah. a couple years to develop. I mean, it's it's a developmental position like every other spot. So good for yeah. him. Five kick, five for five, and four over fifty is pretty impressive. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, let's see. We all game in Seattle, kind of back and forth a little bit. Obviously, playing without Bryce. Um, yeah. You know. All right, highlight of the game. We can talk yeah. about a lot of stuff. JJ's tackle. Yes. Can we talk about that. DJ Dallas kind of their returner, big north and south guy, kind of ran me over. But I get, I mean, it was a full wrap up now. Oh. In 2012, yeah, it's kind of like that. 2012, Keekley showed up. Uh, he was a rookie that year. And I remember about eight weeks in, he probably had like 100 tackles for like eight games. And I walked over to him, like literally in the middle of a game. And I was like, how do you tackle so well? His exact words were, I just wrap my arms around his waist and hang on for dear life. Now, it's a little more impressive than that, but that's the strategy I use, which is 
wrap around his waist and hang on for dear life. And um, that's it got it him down. Like, I still think he got two yards as he was kind of falling on top of me. Doesn't but matter. I got him down. So I'm I'm using it. You stopped the explosive. That's all you got to do. I did, I did it. I did stop the explosive. As your I, job. As, as my back and head were hitting the turf. JJ, your <laughs> job's to snap. Anything else is gravy. Gravy. Yeah, it, it's it's usually snap, protect, and then don't get hurt. But of, of protect, every once yeah. in a while, they start breaking the first line or two of uh, coverage, and it's like it's on me or nobody else. So, yeah, I was happy team. to help out the team a little bit. But it's a good game. It was a good game in Seattle. Got away from us a little bit there at the end. But I thought Andy played really well. Dalton, yeah, TCU guy, and um, Thielen played really well. And our defense just been really banged up. We've lost two or three really important starters, and that's it was kind of the first kind of crack in the defense. But I, I think I think by the end of the game, we only had like three opening day starters on the field. So hopefully those guys will start getting healthy. But depth in the NFL is so important because there's always guys banged up. You got next guy up is real and difficult and difficult to achieve when there's limitations on how many guys you can actually have. I mean, it's 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 hard to put together a team especially when there's guys banged up, but obviously you got the seven inactives and then how do you feel the two deep, you know, from that standpoint and still get, you know, five receivers dressing, uh, you know, two or three running backs and guys to play special teams and then play offense and defense. So yeah, it's, it's so much value in being able to play multiple positions on offense and defense. But when you start having the same injuries at the same positions, that's when it really strains you because now you're really kind of dipping into maybe practice squad players or something, guys who are probably a year or two away and still needing development. And all of a sudden, you know, you're in an NFL game and um, that's always a challenge, but that's every team, right? And every yeah. team's got to manage it. It's not an excuse, but it is a challenge. Yeah. Um, all right, all right, we're going to knock, right. knock these out quick. So I want to hear the JJ Jansen story. Um, Arizona 28, Dallas 16. That was surprising. Yeah, well, one for Go five ahead. in the red zone for Dallas. They, that's something they got to button up. Uh, and um, I mean, they're you know Arizona's been uh, like they've been in every game. Everyone kind of wrote them off at the beginning of the year, and they've been in all three games and had a chance. It's been that's been impressive to watch what uh, Gannon's done there so far. I don't think anyone needs to worry about Dallas. I think they're a good team, and I think their offense and their offense and defense are really good. I'll be curious to see how with digs out if what happens long-term, but good teams have bad games on the road. And to your point, Arizona, Arizona was not expected to be good, but they've, they've had a fourth quarter lead in all three games. Yeah. So they're playing, they're either punching above their weight or they're better than everyone thought. And so again, I, I don't think it's the end of the world for Dallas and Arizona's gone off to a good start. I think. Okay. The Taylor Swift game, forty-one to ten, Chiefs over the Bears. No, I mean, is there anything else to say outside of how bad at Chicago and Taylor Swift was there? No, I don't think so. I, I, my, I'm not. I don't think I'm unique in this. Like, I don't feel like that relationship's going the way, the whole way. And the, the the album coming out of it is going to be an absolute banger. So I'm here for all of it. Um, You're here for chaos. I, yeah, I'm rooting for chaos. I don't, I don't want anything bad to happen, but I just, I feel you, like 
I feel like best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. I feel like 2025 Taylor Swift World Tour is going to be unbelievable. And you can't tell. Here's a conspiracy for you, but it's not even a conspiracy. I think it's just factual. You can't tell me it's a coincidence that they start dating and then he's all of a sudden the poster boy for Pfizer. Come on. And Bud Light and T-Mobile. Oh, it's definitely a whole. There's a whole. Hollywood thing. Yeah. It, Hollywood it's a, like, it's a PR right. blizzard. Correct. Yeah. And we absolutely we're not cutting glance. Stop blushing. We're not cutting that out. We're we're blasting that to the I'm good. I'm good. It's all orchestrated. Like like football teams have game plans. PR marketing firms have game plans. It was, they, part, of the, it was, well part, of it was part of the script that the, yeah, uh, it was the part of the NFL script writers wrote for the year. That's right. Who's the key? The guy yeah. that from Key and Peel. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I didn't love the NFL. They stole that from the Jaguars, which was awesome. Their their uh, schedule release. I didn't yeah. like the NFL just stealing it because the Jaguars one was great. Just, I didn't see that. Oh, go watch the schedule release from Jacksonville. They, you know, whatever that was, April. It was great. It was like eight minutes, and it was really funny, really clever. <sighs> I wish the NFL hadn't stolen that one. They should just let the Jaguars keep it. It was good. All right, Pittsburgh 23, Las Vegas 18. Quick, quick analytics deal there. Why in the world did they kick at the end of the game? Did Terrible decision. They did it twice. So, and it cost them like four or five percentage points. Yeah. Like you still have to score a touchdown. Like I understood, I understood the first kick. You're down eight. There's no guarantee of getting the two-point conversion. So hey, it's a long fourth down conversion. There's still a bunch of time. Let's kick the field goal. Now we've got some options. We kick off, we onside kick. Totally good with it. It's probably a coin flip. <laughs> quick, quick lesson on analytics. If it's anywhere close to a coin flip, it's always a kick for NFL coaches. They want to kick the ball. Penalty happens. They take the points off the board. I don't disagree with that, but it's a new situation now. Three minutes later, closer yeah. to the end zone, closer conversion. You know, the stuff that I would like to see coaches do a little bit more is when they make those mistakes, just own up and say, I made a mistake. What inevitably happens is coaches get up there and they say, Hey, I did what I thought was best to win the game. And that would be like the guy on Notre Dame's D line who didn't go out on the field going, I thought what I did was best for the team. Like no one actually believes that, but coaches sometimes can get in the press conference because that wasn't a coin flip. That wasn't a 50, 50, I'm not sure what to do. Like that was overwhelmingly, you got to go for it to put your team in the best position to win. And I didn't so, see that. He might've said, Hey, I messed up, but I've seen that a lot where coaches just go, I was doing what I thought was best. And as a player, I'm looking there saying that wasn't what was best. And that wasn't even close. All right, JJ. So we talked about it earlier, the casual fans watching these scenarios and sure. sometimes they're confused. Like I'm used to them kicking the extra pointer. I'm used to them punting here. Why did they go for it? And then we end up finding out finding out the sheet, the analytics say they go for it. So the fans watching this, and they're like, why did they kick the field goal? I guess the analytics say to kick it, but it doesn't. So what was the reasoning by the coach? Because the casual fan would even go for it. I, I, I don't, I have no idea. The only, the only piece of information he might've used is said, I am uncomfortable trying to go for two. So I know it's a two score game. Like, I don't think we're going to get a two point conversion, even if we do score. And again, I think 
coaches tend to try to avoid or delay losing. So if he yeah. goes for it there and he misses, he's down eight. I'm not sure how much time was left. We were on the plane coming home. Like I saw kind of in the aftermath. Um, and the game probably feels over. Where I kick the field goal, I make it. Now I can kick off. I can onside yeah. kick. Like I feel like I'm still in the game. But the reality was his best chance of winning was to try to convert and then ultimately score a touchdown because you're running out of time. Like there weren't options. The first kick, you can kick the ball deep, you can get the ball back, and now you're going for the win because you're only down five. Yeah. But the second situation, you're basically down to one possession. you got to maximize your opportunities. You have to score a touchdown at least to even tie the game. So to get that close to the goal line and then kick, even if you got everything worked out great, you still got to go all the way back down the field and score. Yeah. So I, looking at it, it was two minutes and 25 seconds when they kicked it. And I think that how many timeouts all, they have. They had all three timeouts and the two minute. So that's probably what, and what was it? Fourth and what? Three, I think. Four. Fourth and four. Yeah. That's probably, he, again, he's delaying losing, right? So I'm going to kick the field goal. I'm going to kick the ball off. I'm going to use my timeouts on the other side of the two-minute warning. And I'm betting, again, this is gut versus math. My gut is our defense stops them. We get the ball back with a minute 40 or whatever it would have probably worked out to be, maybe minute 50 or something like that. Um, I'm betting on our defense. Just you have to score a touchdown to win, and you're so close. And the – fourth and three, fourth and four conversions are like 50% conversions. Yeah. So it's not a hard conversion relative to what you're asking your defense to do. Yeah. Makes sense. All right. Last uh, night's game. Real quick. Oh. Yeah. Real quick on those two. No, no. Real quick on those two last night's games is what I was going to say. Um, oh. me Philly 25, years. Tampa Bay yeah. 11, and then, uh, sorry, Rams 16, Cincinnati 19. I know you like seeing another NFC South opponent with the loss, obviously that is, is good for the Panthers. Eagles look good. They don't necessarily look quite as explosive as they did last year. And uh, I mean, you know, it's still early in the season and then Bengals just, they found a way to squeak one out finally, but for most of the game, they looked like they didn't look like the same. They still don't look like the same team as we've seen now again, you know, Philly's undefeated. So not much to say there. I just don't know that they necessarily look quite as explosive as they did last year. Uh, I would, I would agree. Phil, I mean, but I think their defense is a little bit better than it started out last year. So they're three and zero. Yeah, first time in like thirty years that they've been three and zero. So they're feeling good. And I feel like I feel like the Bengals are just trying to survive Burrow for now, and hoping that by the time November December gets here, he's healthy. Um, I wouldn't want to play them in the playoffs because of him, but but they have they have not looked the same either. Yeah. And that is the NFL for the weekend. Uh, JJ, I know you got to get out of here. Unfortunately, uh, we our producers uh, gave us a script that was a little too long um, this week, and so we didn't get to everything we wanted to. So we'll throw them under the bus. Um, but we do want to thank you for coming on. I think we learned a lot um, analytically, and uh, we certainly appreciate you uh, taking the time this morning. Um, now you got to get to uh, the wife and kids on the off day. So thanks for yeah. spending some time with us. This has been awesome. Anytime you guys want me on, I will. That's what I was going to say. Would you be willing to come I... back? Okay. 
I, I am in. Anytime you want me to explain why NFL coaches are messing stuff up, I'm happy yes. to. Uh, but at, as we talk about Brandon Staley, like I want to also defend NFL coaches who do it right. So Even I feel like I, I'm we, like Burse. I'm very counter media. And I t- watched all the TV shows bashing Brandon Staley yesterday. And I, I, thought it was, I thought it was the right decision. So like these guys need to have someone to defend them when they make the right call. Can we, I'll be, can we, I'll be that guy. Can we call you a friend of the program? You absolutely friend all of the right. program for sure. All time longest tenured Panthers player, JJ yeah. Jansen. JJ, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me guys. It's awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, JJ. See you next time. Yeah.